Hello, and welcome to Disney Rewind, a Disney nostalgia podcast served with a glass of wine. We are your hosts, Adina Winnett and Rachel Seedman. In each episode, we break down a piece of Disney media and pair it perfectly with a glass of wine. Disney Rewind is a member of the Disney Podcast family. Head over to at Disney Podcast family on Instagram to see all the latest episodes and posts from our show and links to other great Disney podcasts. Cheers. Hello. Hello. Oh mm. my gosh. We are back. It's been a really <laughs> long time. <laughs> it's been a really long time, you guys. A lot, a lot, a lot has happened, but we felt it would be kind of fun to just give you a little bit of an update of some <laughs> things that have happened in the time that we've been away. Number one, which is fun, is we became Universal Studios annual pass holders. That we did. Yay. But we've been two times since being annual pass holders. And uh, the second time was for my 30th birthday. I turned 30. You did. That's weird. No, it's not. Another big, exciting addition to my life is I got a puppy. Who is so dang cute. My baby. Her name is Winnie Winnette because that's adorable. And as I told Rachel when I saw her like a week ago, it got old real fast. See, it's only old for you. It's not old for everybody who hears it for the first time or even the second time. It's very cute. I love my dog. She is the sweetest. She is a little mommy's girl. She is. She loves her Auntie Rachel very much. She does. She's so cute. (laughs) So those are like the big things in my life that have happened in the last five months since we've recorded Jesus Christ. Yeah, (laughs) mine are a little different. One, I went to Europe and I did a nice big UK trip in Ireland and it was so much fun. It was an absolute blast. So that was great. As well as y'all, I went to Coachella and I got to see not one, but two Disney songs performed at Coachella. What, what? We got some Nightmare Before Christmas. We got some Turning Red. It was an absolute blast. So that was great. And then I just did a lot of sewing. I've been working on creating my own handmade wardrobe and I sewed a lot. I made five pieces for my wardrobe in this time that we've been away. And guys, she's so good at it. Like <laughs> the pieces that she has made are incredible. I mean, you guys Aww. all saw her bell dress from Oogie Boogie Bash last year. Oh yeah, we're going to Oogie Boogie Bash again this year. Duh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like, Rachel, you're such a talented seamstress. Aww, stop. <laughs> Yeah, those are just a few of the highlights of mm-hmm. our lives. Low light, we both got COVID. We did a <laughs> slight more on that later when we get into the wine. I have some fun things to share about uh, if I can taste it. <laughs> oh, Lordy. <laughs> Let's hope so. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, we do have to talk about the movie, our season four premiere. Season four. I can't believe we've come this far. I mean, our podcast has changed so much since we very first started and I'm super happy that we're here and I'm super happy that I'm getting to kick us off because you guys, while we're recording this episode well in advance, this is coming out right around 
my 31st birthday. And so, yeah, so I am excited to pick this movie because it has a tie into birthdays of my childhood. So it's just cute little tie in. But we obviously you can tell from the title watched Peter Pan for our season four opener that we did. So I have a couple of things to say and then let's we, we we need to drink for this movie. Okay, Peter Pan premiered on February 5th, 1953, and is the 14th Disney animated feature film. It was directed by Clyde Geronimi, Hamilton Lusky, and Wilford Jackson. Now, I, you guys, it's been so long, I actually forgot initially to look at the Disney Plus description while I started taking my notes, but then I did. So get (laughs) ready. I'm so happy that I did because buckle up, click, for a real poo-poo. Disney Plus description. But would you have had it any other way to start our fourth season? It's fitting. I'm happy that we have such a bad description. (laughs) I'll be honest, though. Mine might not be much better, but... I'm sure yours is better. This is Disney Plus's description. Adventures await when Peter Pan and his friends fly to Neverland. What? Nope, nope, nope. Wrong. I don't know that any of those words other than Peter Pan and Neverland and maybe Adventure. AK Friends. I don't know that that's true. Adventures await them. Yeah. Certainly. Sure. But that is not at all telling us what kind of a movie we're about to watch. No. So I'm going to take a little chance on this one, you guys. I'm a little rusty, so I'm sorry that this might not be the best, but here we go. Get ready to fly off to the second star to the right and straight on till morning. As Wendy Darling's parents are getting ready to move her out of the nursery so she can grow up, she is whisked away off to Neverland by the adventurous boy Peter Pan and the more than reluctant Tinkerbell. (laughs) Along with her brothers, John and Michael, Peter shows Wendy the opportunity to never grow up and the life she could lead, which includes fighting swashbuckling pirates and more alongside the lost boys of neverland that was great thank you for just saying and more yeah so today we are drinking our most expensive wine to date and i'm gonna give an early shout out to clocky mcdowell our wonderful patron for sponsoring this episode and helping us to buy this very expensive wine thank you clocky (laughs) just been waiting to use up these funds for something this was it. It was this wine. So today we are drinking the Chapel Down Brut NV from England. Wow. Wow. So Chapel Down Brut NV is a classic example of quality English sparkling wine with aromas of red apple, lemongrass, citrus fruits, and freshly baked bread together with hints of strawberry and quince on the palate and fine persistent bubbles. Great as an aperitif or a perfect pairing to a British classic, fish and chips. Okay. Yes, it is a sparkling wine from England. Who knew? Before I get into why I picked this, a little more about this wine, I think we need to taste it. We certainly do. So Rachel, for the first time of season four, cheers. Cheers. Mm, I'm kind of smelling the bread. Like, 
Okay, so I'm just going to say this. I hinted at it earlier. As Adina said, we did both get COVID, and I did completely 100% lose my sense of smell and taste. It has been coming back, but my nose picks up weird smells now that, like, I don't know what it is. Um, So smelling is hard. I can taste, but smelling, I kind of do get, like, a, a yeasty smell Mm -hmm. on the nose here that's very interesting of all of the aromas i mentioned i am getting that bread smell the most as we're drinking this i'm just gonna also give a secondary preface that as adina mentioned she does have a dog who is a puppy we're gonna do our best to let little winnie not steal our spotlight but if you guys hear some noises in the background that could just be cute old baby winnie just so everybody knows I apologize. But anyway, I'm I really like this wine. It's quite nice. It it's my favorite sparkling wine that we have had to date, like hands down. So let's talk a little bit more about this wine. The grape breakdown is 52% Chardonnay, 35% Pinot Noir, 7% Pinot Meunier, 5% Pinot Blanc, and 1% early Pinot Noir. This fruit of this wine is sourced from the vineyards in Kent, Essex, East Sussex, and Dorset. Grapes are grown predominantly on single and double pruning systems on varied soils, including chalk, clay, and loam soils. Cool fermentation in stainless steel, followed by full malolactic fermentation. Maturation on the tank for six months before bottling and an average of 18 months of aging on lees in the bottle. This particular wine... Brut just means sparkling wine, mm-hmm. but it specifically is NV. What does NV stand for? Non-vintage. In layman's terms, a non-vintage champagne is the most common type of champagne on the market. They are blends of base wines from several years and aged for a minimum of 15 months. This particular wine was aged for 18 months. This can make a consistent house style of wine every year, and NV Champagne or Brut is relatively less expensive than a vintage champagne. Hmm. Now, about Chapel Down in particular. Chapel Down is England's leading wine producer with an award-winning range of sparkling and still wines. Based in Kent, in the heart of the Garden of England, they produce wines of the highest quality and which they believe offer the best expression of England. They're one of the UK government's top 50 food and drink producers and are the first English winery to ever feature in the London Stock Exchange's 1,000 companies to inspire Britain. Oh. When we both poked fun at English wine in our Mary Poppins episode many moons ago, my dad made it a point to come and tell me, Adina, England makes really great sparkling wines on par with champagnes in France. So he's not wrong. This is really delicious. This is quite nice. So I decided we're going to make up for our little misstep in the Mary Poppins episode. No offense to you. The sangria we had was delicious. But let's talk about some English wines. The grapevine first arrived on England shores thanks to the Romans who brought viticulture with them to every new land they sought to conquer. Sounds about right. After the fall of the empire, Christian monasteries maintained vineyards for use in the sacrament for pilgrims as well as for their own use. A warm period during the Middle Ages helped grapes to consistently ripen. Wine production was relatively stable until the plague. 
Bum, bum, Which- bum. <laughs> From the 1700s through the dawn of the 20th century, there were a few private individuals who planted vines, dabbled in winemaking, but it wasn't until post-World War II in the mid-50s and 60s that the interest in commercial viticulture in England was rekindled. For centuries, the English were fully committed to drinking wine. As of 2014, the UK ranks sixth in the world for overall wine consumption. Hmm. Good job, Brits. Yeah. Um, But yeah, not a lot of producing happened until recently. England is an exciting new force in the wine world, producing world-class bubbles, winning awards, and for the first time, beating major champagne houses in competitions. Dang. So, it is no secret that England sees a lot of rain. (laughs) In the south, where the majority of the viticulture is centered, the climate is slightly warmer and drier. With a little help from our dear friend, global warming, Mm. uh, the average annual temperatures are on the rise, and the issues with grapes ripening that have long plagued England's winemakers may soon become a thing of the past. But for now, the best regions for viticulture are along the southern strip of England's coast, from Cornwall to Kent, and they share similar climates, soil types, and grow an array of cool climates suitable to grape varieties. I'm going to end this segment with some fast facts about English wine. Fast facts. (laughs) There are 3,550 acres of vineyards in England. The first vineyard was the Hambleton Vineyard in Hampshire, which was established in 1951. In terms of the rest of the UK, wine is also successfully made in Wales, and attempts have even been made in Scotland. Interesting. 2015 was a very big year for the English wine industry. The Decanter World Wine Awards saw English Sparkling pick up 130 medals. Good job. And finally, buyer beware. British wine and English wine are not the same thing. A label boasting British wine is typically a sweet port style or sherry style wine made from imported grape concentrate. It's cheap, not so cheerful, and probably best avoided. Mm. So cheers to this delightful English wine. Cheers. So a couple of reasons that I picked this wine. And there's a cute little window which could allude to the opening of the nursery at the Darling family home. Obviously, it's British. And sparkling wine. There's a lot of pixie dust, Tinkerbell sprinkles everywhere. I have a lot of thoughts about Tinkerbell. We'll get Mm -hmm. into that. Mm-hmm. But those are just a couple of the reasons that I picked this particular wine, but mainly that it is an English wine. This is a very English family. <laughs> yes, very. But let's get into that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this is a wonderful wine, and I am excited to continue drinking it. But I'll give you a little break on talking, and there's not a ton of information about this movie. I am shocked. That there are not more facts about this movie. I have a thought on that. Okay. And we've already mentioned it. Mm -hmm. This movie has an incredible amount of racism in it. Like, absolutely. Like, I was very uncomfortable watching a lot of this movie. And so I Mm -hmm. wonder if Disney has done a job to not try. Like, of course, it's going to get promoted. It's like 
a very first one of the season iconic movie. Hey. I'm drinking for that one. I'll drink but to I, that to get drunker. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder if Disney has tried to hold back information because of not wanting people to really find a lot of research about this. What about Dumbo? We found a ton of stuff on Dumbo, and that is an equally as racist movie. That's that's true, too. So I like your logic. <laughs> Thank you. But we'll have some things, but let's get into it. So obviously, but. in case y'all didn't know, this was based on a 1904 play and a 1911 novel called Peter Pan or The Boy Who Wouldn't Grow Up by J.M. Barry. Now, Mr. Barry over here mm. took some time writing Peter Pan, and it did have numerous rewrites. He could not really figure out how he wanted this story to be told, and it's kind of funny. Like we just said, there's a lot of information on Peter Pan. The amount of rewrites that Peter Pan went through is crazy. What I kind of want to talk about with the original Peter Pan, and we actually see it in this movie, and I thought it was very fascinating, so I did an itty-bitty amount of research on it, is at the very beginning of the movie, it is not dedicated to a hospital. It is thanking a hospital for letting Disney use this story. So I did a little bit of a research into the Great Ormond Street Hospital. Thank you. That was a strange thing to see. <laughs> it was really strange. So in 1929, J.M. Barry actually gave the copyright of Peter Pan works. So all of it, the, the play, the novel, everything that he had ever worked on for Peter Pan, he gave the copyright to this hospital, which... I realized as I was doing my research is gosh, how cute. So I'm going to call it gosh from oh, here on out. That's adorable. Yeah. So <laughs> he gave the copyright to gosh on the condition that he never wanted it to come out the amount that this has all been worth, which gosh has honored that and has never said essentially how much was donated to their hospital by Mr. Barry, which I think is very sweet. The hospital itself is the largest center for child heart surgery in the UK and one of the largest centers for heart transplantation in the entire world. So they've really pioneered a lot in terms of organ transplants at this hospital with a specific focus on children. Mm -hmm. So when Walt Disney decided, yo, I want to do Peter Pan, in the 30s, he had this decision, I want to do Peter Pan. In order to get the rights, he had to go to this hospital to ask for the rights. Now, fun fact, in this contract, things that were not included, merchandise. So oh, any... Oh, no. What a mistake. <laughs> yeah, that oh. one's... As someone who can like think back to all of the Peter Pan merchandise I As had. Someone as a wearing kid. a shirt with Tinkerbell on it right now. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, they did not get the, they did not have to include any um, of those rights in the original sale because it was not initially drawn up in the contract, which does make sense. I mean, merchandising the way that we know it now was not a thing for Disney back then. But Disney has continued to work with Gosh and continued to donate money to Gosh 
even though it's not. Oh, is it still around? Yes. Oh, gosh, it's still oh, absolutely around. That's amazing. Yes. That is kind of Disney's relationship now to Gosh, which yes, Gosh still is a thing. And again, for all of you who we do have some listeners in the UK, so I'm sure y'all are well aware of it. It is the Great Ormond Street Hospital, and it is because they actually owned the copyright from Mr. Barry of all works of Peter Pan. He did not own it. They did. And so I thought it was very nice that Disney gave that with thanks to them in the in the credits. I appreciate that because I know that Walt had tried to buy the rights since 1935. Yep. He became obsessed with Peter Pan after playing Peter in a school production. And he said, yep. quote, no actor ever identified himself with the part he was playing more than I. It is very cute that Walt thought of himself as like, I'm never going to grow up and then went on to make all of these amazing movies, create Disneyland so that children and adults didn't have to grow up and could be kids forever. Yeah, I think it actually gives quite a big insight into who Walt was. And we have a lot of issues with Walt. We're not afraid to say that on this podcast. Um, But (laughs) I do think that it does really show where he was coming from with what he went on to do in life, that this is the character that really resonated with him so much. Yes. However, Walt did not like Peter Pan in this iteration. The not. Which, like, same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, he believed that the Peter Pan that Disney Studios had created was cold and unlikable. Which I don't think that's... Those aren't my problems with it. Those aren't my problems with it either. So that's so interesting. Like I would, if somebody said, describe Peter Pan in two words, I don't think I would get to cold or unlikable for like a long time. My my first word would be dick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, to be really eloquent about it. (laughs) Yeah. You're... You're not wrong. Uh, he he definitely is that. So, but yeah, I was just, okay, sure. Cold and unlikable. He is a very difficult character to like, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I don't think you're wrong. I think that there are moments that he's certainly not. And I think there are moments you could really change this movie quite a bit And it would be incredible. And Peter would not be an unlikable character. And you would kind of root for him and the Lost Boys and what they stand for. Because the scenes, I have lots of notes on this later, like the like fight scenes, the adventure that actually happens, like that's super cool, super fun. Then as soon as, I'm sorry, as soon as Peter pans around a woman, he becomes an absolute ass. Like absolute terrible person, ass to the nth degree mm-hmm. horrible not a fan um, but you know who else was not a fan particularly yeah. of the drawing style uh was mr milk call yeah because he found drawing peter pan to be very dull so he is one of our nine old men milk call we love yes. him dearly yes we do um so if in case you have forgotten who the nine old men are they are the nine original animators for walt disney studios And he was really hoping to be assigned to Captain Hook because 
you know, he's a lot more exciting. His costume is very voluminous and fun, but said that he found himself bored with the work of Peter Pan and also of Wendy. The hardest part that he said about drawing Peter was making it look realistic when he was floating in midair or landing. Hmm. He resolved the landing issue by having Peter's upper body arrive first. So if you notice that, his lower body catches up afterward as he is landing. Hmm. Yeah. So even our our lead animator of Peter Pan did not enjoy Peter Pan. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in that context, one, I'm going to also just say I too would probably not be as bored with Peter, but I would be kind of bored if I was on Wendy. Like Wendy's not the most exciting character to draw, to look at, to anything. So like if you're on both Peter and Wendy and then there's some co-worker over there who's on Captain Frickin' Hook, like, yeah, you're going to be looking and be like, come on, man, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of, though, the nine old men, um, we do like to, you know, call out when there are firsts and lasts, and this is indeed a last because this is the last time, the last movie that all nine members of the OG nine old men work together as directing animators so like it's that's such a bittersweet thing to know that one of them was like all upset too that they weren't doing (laughs) what they wanted because like this was the last time that all nine of them were there oh yeah it was ward kemble's last film that he worked on i i found that this film had quite a few lasts it was the last disney animated feature to have fred moore as an animator Because he tragically died in a car accident on November 23rd, 1952. Mm. But also, it was the last full-length Disney animated film distributed by RKO Radio Pictures. Now, I saw something interesting about that, because I saw that one too. And then I Mm -hmm. later saw another movie, I forgot the name of it, that came out in 1955 was actually completed ahead of Peter Pan, but was released after Peter Ah. Pan. And in 1955 had RKO, however, that this was the last one that was completed. Honestly, that's all of the main facts that I found about the movie before I found my actor facts. So I don't know what else you got. Yeah, so I will go into, because I feel like you probably have some of this too, but like I went in deep on this. I specifically want to talk about our inspiration, the woman behind Tinkerbell. It is very, very, very wrongly and commonly confused that Tinkerbell was inspired by Marilyn Monroe. That is not correct. No, it is not. However, what is really sweet is... This movie, as I said earlier, came out in February 1953, and Gentlemen Prefer Blondes came out in August 1953. I have this incredible side-by-side of Marilyn Monroe doing very similar things that Tinkerbell does. She holds to her hips, 
She lifts the diff- distance. She then fits herself and gets stuck while going through a porthole, not a keyhole. Same, same. But it's really quite fascinating that these two little bombshell women that came out in 1953 have very similar things. They were not inspired by each other, though. So if it's not Marilyn Monroe, who was it instead? Who is our Tinkerbell? So I want you all to learn a little bit about this woman who I found incredibly fascinating. Her name is Margaret Carey. Margaret Carey had found that there was going to be an open audition call that was going to be supervised by Mark Davis, one of our nine old men who was responsible for Tinkerbell's animation. So they were bringing in different women and they were required to pantomime the motions that would be used as the live action reference for Tink. As Tinkerbell is nonverbal, all of her movements would be incredibly important. And so Mark Davis sought a dancer specifically. So he thought that that would be the type of person that could best embody the character. After she got the job, she spent six months at Disney Studios on a mostly empty soundstage, pantomiming the part. The studio provided some props, notably a giant keyhole for her and a pair of giant scissors. They didn't just stop there for Margaret Carey. She also did get an itty-bitty speaking role in the movie as well as our red-haired mermaid. So it's very cool that our... Lady Tink is also actually heard as one of the mermaids. Like I said, I found this woman to be so fascinating that I just want to share about her life ever so slightly because I want to be her. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She was adopted at age three, and by age four, she had her first role in a production of Midsummer Night's Dream. So immediately, she was moved out to L.A. as soon as she was adopted and um, immediately put into showbiz. Eventually, she was also a camera double for Elizabeth Taylor in the film National Velvet. In a cute little interview with Margaret Carey, talking about when she actually saw the movie Peter Pan for the first time, she easily recognized her own body language in the film. So much so, her husband did too. And she said, Oh my gosh, I was so excited. I was nudging him and saying, there I am, Jack, 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 that's me. He just leaned over and said, Margaret, I'd recognize those thighs anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So much so, I didn't know this either. This is my last thing on Margaret Carey because this story, I just was like, oh my gosh. Margaret's legs actually had in fact been christened as the most beautiful legs in Hollywood shortly before Peter Pan went into production. A fact that she now begrudgingly acknowledged. Here's an amazing quote from her. Terrible thing. It was a real throwback from the early 30s, but my girlfriend wanted to do it if I'd go, so I did, and I won, and she never spoke to me again. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine being like, I'm so excited, I'm going to do this like best legs and showbiz thing friends come with me and then your friends win oh no oh no (laughs) so she lost a friend over the fact that she had the most beautiful legs and then those legs went on to be tinkerbell best legs in the biz best legs in the biz so that's a little bit about margaret carey i love her 
And that leads really, really well into my actor facts. Actor facts. So my first actor fact is Bobby Driscoll as Peter Pan. The studio was looking for an actor to portray Peter Pan. And uh, our lovely Margaret Carey suggested her dancing teacher, Roland Dupree. He was interviewed and eventually won the role, providing a reference for the flying and action sequences. So the two of them got to work side by side. But he did not voice Peter Pan. Bobby Driscoll was the first male to play Peter Pan on film. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes, up until very recently with the NBC live action Peter Pan, Peter Pan is portrayed as a woman. Yep. But sadly, Bobby Driscoll does not have a great ending to his story. No, he does Um, not. The roles dried up. He was a child star. And after that, he turned to drugs and sadly went on a prison stay in the early 60s and died of heart failure in 1968 at the age of 31. Yeah, I know. I saw that. I'm like, shit, this movie's coming out or this episode's coming out for my 31st birthday. I did not want to read that fact. No. No. And I'm sorry, but, you know. I mean, I'm not living that same way. No, you're very (laughs) much not. Really? You didn't portray Peter Pan and now you're turning to drugs? After it's a hard a life, stand. you guys. It's a hard, it's life. A hard knock life. <laughs> oh, wait. Wrong child's wrong child movie. Um, speaking of another one of our main actors, we're going to talk about Catherine Beaumont as Wendy. Yeah. I love Catherine Beaumont. I do, too. She was also the live action reference for Wendy. But in an interview, she said that she had to hold out her arms and pretend to fly for all of the scenes requiring it. Oh my gosh. But Catherine Beaumont also voices another wonderful Disney lady, Alice, in Alice in Wonderland. She does. And if you listen to both of these characters, the voices are exactly the same. I feel like back then, Disney just really didn't give a shit when they reused voice actors, like with Lady Tremaine and Maleficent, exact same voice. Yeah, yeah. I think they were just like, well, we like this voice. So we want this voice to do everything. It's just funny that they came out so close to each other. So close. And it's literally so like close. the exact same sound. Speaking of the exact same sound, our next actor fact is Mr. Hans Conried as Captain Hook and George Darling. Yeah. In compliance with the tradition of the stage version, the same actor performed both roles. So this was something that J.M. Barry really wanted to have in the stage performances of his play, that this actor plays both roles. Apparently, in his one of his many rewrites, it was that Mary Darling... And Captain Hook, a female, were the same person. Ooh, badass. Let's get that version. Would love to see it. Very on board. Yeah. Don't know if they were there for it in the 50s, but I'm here for it now. 2022, let's do this thing. So Hans Conried completed the voice work over the course of just a few days. 
but then served as live action reference for two and a half years. Oh, gosh. He later did the same kind of thing as the live action reference for King Stefan, Princess Aurora's father in Sleeping Beauty, but he did not get the chance to voice him. Next up, I have Bill Thompson as Mr. Smee. Mr. Thompson was a very well-known radio star at the time and voice actor, but you may have heard Bill Thompson's voice in some past movies we've discussed. I've given him a shout out a couple of times just to refresh your memory. He was Jock and Bull in Lady and the Tramp and King Stefan in Sleeping Beauty. Yep. His final acting role was Uncle Waldo in The Aristocats. Next, we have, Rachel, this is a giant throwback here. The Mellow Men. Yes. The Mellow Men are- It's been a while. The beautiful singing group Mm -hmm. who have appeared in so many. A Disney film have had their own amazing discography. They were the pirate chorus and the Native American singing. The Mellow Men are comprised of Bill Lee, Bob Stevens, Max Smith, and our favorite, Thurl Ravenscroft. Thurl. A cheers to the iconic Thurl Ravenscroft. A cheers to the iconic Mellow Men. Like, I love the Mellow Men. Yeah. Cheers to them. Cheers. Very iconic. Finally, I have not an actor facts because as Rachel pointed out, Tinkerbell has no lines. Nope. But there is a lot of fun stuff to say about Tinkerbell. Disney's Peter Pan is the second film production to actually give Tinkerbell a form. Previously, she was only represented by a spot of light and jingling bells. When trying to find the right sound for Tinkerbell, the movie makers found that bells and chimes were too hard on the ear. Eventually, they cut up pieces of aluminum and strung them together, creating the perfect Tinkerbell tinkle. Hmm. Another thing that I did a dive on, there were not a lot of facts about this movie, obviously. Um, what there are a lot of, particularly on Reddit, are weird Peter Pan fan theories. And I didn't want to fall too deep into this rabbit hole, so I just did a little shallow dive. Number one, and this is one that I believe 100%, Peter Pan is the true villain and Hook is the hero of this movie. I wouldn't go so far to say that Hook's the hero. However, Peter Pan villain, I'm on board a thousand percent. Peter Pan is the villain of this movie. Hook, I wouldn't say is hero, but Peter Pan villain, yeah. So I will tell you why I think Hook is our hero. Peter Pan, as I've said, is an asshole. No one is debating this fact. Maybe people are, but not on this podcast. Mm -mm. He goes after this poor man who's just trying to make a living. He has all of these pirates who, according to this fan theory, are grown-up lost boys that he has saved from Peter Pan. Because in another conspiracy theory, Peter Pan is the angel of death. I recently read a book called Darling Girl. And it is a modern take on Peter Pan. And it follows Wendy's granddaughter Mm. as well as all of the characters. And I will say Peter Pan, huge villain in this book. Absolute, like, horrible, horrific villain. Uh, Who does come to save the day? Huck. There you go. But in several other theories, it's that 
Peter Pan kills off the Lost Boys when they get too old. So it's not that the children are never growing up. It's that when they hit puberty, he kills them off. So this theory is that Hook saves these children and they become the pirates. So he is giving them a second chance at life. Fan theory number two, and this was one that was brought to my attention by a friend, is that Peter Pan is the long gone darling child who has passed away and the rest of his siblings are trying to find their way back to him through adventure. I kind of would go for that. However, the very first line of the movie is all of this has happened before and it will happen again, but this time it happened in London. That's to say that there is this Peter Pan character has gone to many different families. And so that's my only thing that says that that doesn't align unless what they're saying is Peter Pan is the idea of grief for children who have lost siblings. But that one ties into another fan theory in that George, at the end of this movie, he's like, oh, I think I've seen this before. So yes, this is not necessarily a theory. This is very heavily alluded to in the film, but that George Darling as a child went to Neverland and visited Peter Pan. But I don't know. I I could have fallen down a very deep rabbit hole here and gone into all of these dives, but you can do that on your own. There is a lot out there. And so I'm just going to, before we thank our patrons and get into this movie, I have one final thing that I want to talk about. Like I already said, I picked this movie because this is coming out around the time of my birthday. And growing up, hands down, this was my favorite Disney movie. I have lots and lots of memories of playing Captain Hook in Peter Pan with myself and my brother. I was Peter Pan. He was Captain Hook. Fun fact, I also had quite the speech impediment and really could not talk. So uh, he was Captain Hook um, because I couldn't do a a puta sound. I could not do that. Baby Rachel. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I was as very famously known in my family, Pita O'Pampan. Um, oh, stop. I'm mm-hmm. dying. Oh. I was so obsessed with this movie that my golden birthday, my third birthday, was a Peter Pan-themed birthday party complete with a crocodile cake made by my mom, and we had an entire Peter Pan-themed day. It was an absolute treat. I still like look at these pictures and it brings me all of the joy in the world for how much this movie really shaped my my childhood and how truly obsessed, truly, truly obsessed with this movie. I really was. So being able to pick a, a movie for the week of my birthday, it really seemed only fitting to do this and we will share some very adorable baby Rachel pictures oh, as Pito Pan Pan. <laughs> very, very cute. But on that note, I think it is time we give a shout out to our wonderful patron who sponsored this episode and allowed us to purchase this wine without breaking our banks. We have Clocky McDowell. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> we'll be right back. 
Okay, our glasses are full. And before we get into talking about this movie, which, as already mentioned, is extremely, incredibly racist. It's been a while since we've had one of these content advisories. So like before, I am going to read this for you guys just as a call out. It does not fix anything that has happened in the past. Oh, absolutely not. But I appreciate that Disney acknowledges that this is extremely problematic to the point that this movie was one of a few films that Disney limited to viewers seven and older on Disney+. Plus. After watching other Disney movies, I feel like more should be on that list, TBH. But um, I'm glad that at least this one is because this is bad. So here we go. This program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. Yep. These stereotypes were wrong then and they are wrong now. Rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. Disney is committed to creating stories with inspirational and aspirational themes that reflect the rich diversity of the human experience around the globe. To learn more about how stories have impacted society, visit www.disney.com slash stories matter. Thank you for reading that. The next thing that I see is that this contains tobacco depictions, and I'm like, yes, bring it back. <laughs> I'm like, yo, Disney, we're doing it all in this movie. Doing it all. Not not just tobacco depictions, but children smoking. God, taking us back to Pinocchio times here. In the credits, we get the dedication that Rachel talked about. As I watched these credits, I had this like immediate strike of realization of like, I can't tell you the last time I actually had seen this movie Same. like I've seen scenes from it many 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 times but actually sitting down to watch the entirety of it I don't think in my adult life I actually have and so it was I I think shocking I'm the same it is it is shocking it's also it's so interesting to me how quickly all the songs came back to me yes because I'm sure I watched this a ton as a kid it is so we open the movie in gloomy London, and we get some funny descriptions of the darling parents, <laughs> which I wish I'd written down. Honestly, my notes are a bit of a mess. It had been, it, it's been five months since we recorded. We're, we're getting back into the swing of things. Same. It was weird <laughs> taking notes because I kept not taking notes at all and then being like, oh man, I have to write about what I just watched. So yeah, we're going to be a little jumpy here, you guys. You know, it's it's been a while. Well, give us give us a little break. I think that my favorite character of this entire movie is Baby Michael Darling. I love him. <laughs> I do too. If I have to name a favorite, though, it's a smaller character, but Nana, absolutely. Nana! Oh and to God. me, Nana. When I said that I didn't think Hook was the hero, I do think Nana is the actual hero. Of this damn family. Like, Nana Nana. is keeping everything together. Nana, I stand Nana. (laughs) I love Nana. Half of my notes in this opening sequence are, my heart, Nana, I love you, Nana. Why is daddy throwing Nana out? I don't like it. All of these things. Oh, I did write down one description of a character. It was Wendy. Wendy was the supreme authority on Peter Pan and all his marvelous adventures. Was she? 
I can't say that she could be. Like, she literally, how can she know this? Which makes me wonder, what was her childhood like? Because she's 12. Mm -hmm. George is saying she needs to move out of the nursery. I agree. What 12-year-old girl wants to share a room with her two little brothers that is called the nursery? I never shared a room with my younger brother. I never want to. I was the younger one, but I never considered my room called it the nursery. I never shared my room. And when I was 12, if I think about angsty 12 year old Rachel, if I was still having to be in a room called the nursery, I would have been like, get me the fuck out of here. And look, perhaps England in the early 1900s, children were different but I can't imagine. Not that much different. They're that still they 12. were that much different. Exactly. But like Wendy is acting of a girl much younger than she should be. And Mary Darling is just like, oh, they're children, whatever. Don't make her leave the nursery, George. No, George, make her leave the nursery. Yeah, I definitely, I again, I sided with George more than I thought I would, not in everything, but he's, like, trying to be sensible here, and literally nobody in their right mind is seeing what he's seeing, and so, like, yeah, I'd be a little fed up, too. Nana is totally seeing it. Like, she is cleaning up. She's trying to make things nice and neat, and I definitely write in my notes, I wish Winnie would make our bed every day and organize her toys. <laughs> But this scene ends with George saying, Nana is a dog. She needs to go out into the doghouse. And poor Nana. So the parents leave and the kids are getting sleepy. Why did they get sleepy? They certainly didn't seem tired. You remember that Nana poured some interesting tonic. It was quite common in the early 20th century to give children soothing syrups and tonics to control their behavior. And these concoctions turned out out to consist of several different narcotics yep so it is quite possible that nana gave these children morphine they oh absolutely these kids were drugged i mean by nana these kids were drugged they and were. that is why they 100 percent went out. on to imagine everything that happened oh no oh, yeah. this was a drug trip 100 percent. yeah oh another tie-in to alice in wonderland why don't we hey <laughs> What am I going to pick next? <laughs> oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, this wine is delightful and a wonderful pairing for this movie because I needed to be heavily intoxicated. And it's just like fizzy and buzzy and delightful. It's very nice. I would. It is a splurge. It's not your everyday drinking wine. But if you're having a nice fancy party, perhaps... This would be a wonderful thing to serve. I it's it's so nice. It's very very good. Which this is. This is a very special occasion. It's my birthday. It's your birthday. It's our season four premiere. <laughs> All the things. So let's okay. get back into this movie. Yeah. The parents leave. So cue Peter's musical theme. Mm-hmm. We see Peter looming into the nursery. And the shadow across his face and the look he is giving at the darling children is one of the most terrifying things that I've ever seen. It's super creepy. Yeah, it's always confused me, actually, every time that, like, I think of this image. Like, I, like I said, hadn't seen the movie in a long time, but I could picture that. And it makes no sense unless 
he's the villain, that we would have such a scary looking picture. We also meet Tinkerbell in this scene. My first line of Tinkerbell is, oh, Tink, you vain body obsessed fairy. Okay. I could not believe how like upsetting it was to see Tinkerbell. And it doesn't make sense. Like, why does she need to be like this? Like, you could have made Tinkerbell, she could have looked the exact same. She could have, like, still been all grumpy and sassy and all of those things. But I was upset watching Tinkerbell because I was like, this is, oh, oh, so that's where it started for me. Okay, I guess I figured it all out was watching this movie a thousand times and watching Tinkerbell do that. Okay. The, the Tinkerbell in this movie is not the Tinkerbell no. that is now shown to children. No. Yeah, I mean, the duo of her and Peter Pan, it's like, whoa, these are not great characters. And think about it. How much do we have to dislike this character who doesn't speak the whole movie? I'm just going to give Margaret Carey quite the props for being able to, like I said before, it was so important that she could create these actions. And she she did because we feel it. You watch Tinkerbell and you just feel this hatred towards this character. And you're like, girl, why you got to be like that? <laughs> yeah, so we see Tinkerbell as she is thinking about herself which yeah okay, looking at her like ass that. in the mirror okay like you know we've all done it but the way that tink does it is just so smug and snarky and i hate it yeah well i just dislike when she then measures her hips and gets upset with how her hips look and i'm just like oh god yeah. um but we'll just not talk about that anymore and we will say that tink is going to help out peter pan because that's who the only person she cares about. Other Love than of her herself. life. Mm -hmm. Obsession. So Tink is rummaging around looking for Peter's shadow. And Wendy wakes up. And Wendy sees Peter. And instead of any normal human who would be petrified, is just totally okay with it and being like, oh yeah, you can stick, like you can't stick your shadow on with soap. And Peter is like, what the fuck woman? Get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I will give Peter some slack here because he didn't really ask for any help. He he actually didn't really even want to be here. He's there because she stole his shadow. How? We don't talk about that. Did she steal his shadow or did he lose his shadow? And how does one lose their shadow in the Neverland Peter Pan realm? Like right. that makes this no whole sense. how this all starts is very confusing, but I do got to side with Peter Pan. He's just trying to get back something that's his. And then all of a sudden you're swarmed by your number one fan being like, <laughs> oh my gosh, let me just tell you everything about you that you need to know and how we can solve. It's just, I, uh, I get Peter not really liking Wendy at this moment. Tinkerbell is angry as fuck. Yeah. Wendy is just talking to Peter. She's trying to make some conversation I would assume this is the first time she's met him. I don't know. But then Peter says, girls talk too much. Fuck you, Peter Pan. Here's what I dislike about Peter in this scene. 
I dislike that he hasn't noticed that Tinkerbell is trapped. That, again, the thing that he later says that he cares about more than anything is trapped. And this whole time, he can't be bothered to even be aware that that's happening. So, like, I am not upset with how he's reacting to Wendy. I'm upset with how he's treating Tink at this moment. Because then, of course, no wonder Tink gets all pissy later on. My next two notes are, I love the animation of Tink flying, which I do very much. The animation of Tinkerbell is phenomenal. Yes. But then my next my next note is, Sassy Tink is sassy. Sassy Tink is real sassy, and I'm fine with Sassy Tink. I'm not fine. I'm not fine with murderous Tink. Yeah. Tink we'll has get to that in a second. problems. We'll get to but, that in a second. But then the darling boys wake up, and- they don't want Wendy to have to grow up and move into her own room. So it's time to go to Neverland where they'll never grow up. And Wendy can be everybody's mother. Just saying. <laughs> Why does John sound accent wise so goddamn different than the rest of his family? I'm sorry. That like bothered me so much <laughs> how they like gave john a completely different accent than everybody else it i it bothered me as well so they have to ask peter but how do we get to neverland think of a wonderful thought any happy little thought <laughs> but so in this scene we obviously find out they attempt to fly and they can't and so peter realizes all it takes is actually faith and trust and a little bit of pixie dust. The pixie dust was an added thing by Barry in his initial drafts. Again, this poor man, he could not settle down on this story. In his initial ones, there was no He needed pixie- an editor. He really did. <laughs> there was no pixie dust orig- originally. It was added after people originally saw the first play and attempted to fly on their own because they didn't realize they needed pixie dust and no. children children got hurt yeah <gasps> children got hurt and so it was later added in oh, no. as a oh the actual way that you fly is you need pixie dust to make yourself fly so oops a doodle you do need an editor <laughs> so you can see through mistakes like that and that's why you have all these commercials that say like professional stunt driver do not attempt like for this exact issue. Exactly. Uh, so that is why Pixie Dust was added. Take it as the original uh, caution on a movie. <laughs> Before the Pixie Dust scene, baby Michael says the line, he flewed and adorable. But then during this whole scene, everything rhymes. And I understand that it is the same lyrics as the song we're about to listen to, but it's still really strange that every line of dialogue, like they're just talking yeah. rhymes. Yeah. But then they head off to Neverland. Mm-hmm. For some reason, John brings an umbrella. And a top hat. And a top hat. I think that John was kind of taking on this persona as, oh, we're going to go off on this adventure. If you're going out, you have to look nice and you have to do X, Y, Z. change out of your nightgown. They're on drugs. What do you expect from them? They're drugged out. This is a morphine-induced drug trip for all of these children. So you know what? Darling children rules here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
So they're flying through London, casually chilling on the Big Ben. It's fine. It's fine. Changing the time on Big Ben. But now we are on Neverland aboard the Jolly Roger, which is never named in this movie. No. But that is the name of Captain Hook's pirate ship. These are violent men. Okay, see, they are very violent, and then, and yet, later on, towards the end of the movie, I call them very flamboyant. So, like, they <laughs> they have quite the wide range of emotions, these pirates. They say the line, though, we've almost forgotten how to slit a throat. It's been a while. It's been a while, which makes me think, you know, we're looking at this map of Neverland. Mm-hmm. Which obviously we have lots of problems with, but I'm going to say the problem I'm going to bring up right now is Cannibal Cove. That problem (laughs) comes up later on with a line that John says that like ties in because we never learn anything about Cannibal Cove. No, we don't. And do I want to venture over there? No. This would Mm. be a very different movie. But I would really like to hope that those are the throats that the pirates are slitting of the cannibals. I hope not. Not the mermaids or the Native Americans. I hope not because uh, Michael talks about Native Americans and Aborigines differently, as in they're two separate people. And so I think one can draw the conclusion that it's Aboriginal people who are at Cannibal Cove. Uh, I hate everything. Yeah, yeah I got super <sighs> upset when he said that line because I was like, oh, oh, that's not good. Yikes. So we overhear Hook talking about his plan to kill Peter Pan. Yep. Coming in strong with the racism. Yep. No need to mention the words used. Oh, we're not but, going to. Mention no, that. we're not going to. But his plan is to kidnap Tiger Lily. The, the princess, the Native American princess, mm-hmm. and persuade her. Mm. The words that he uses after persuading are boiling in oil. Yep. Shit, meant to look up these other two. <laughs> keel hauling mm-hmm. and marooning. Marooning, I know. What is keel hauling? I'm going to look it up. Thank you. I'm on it. It is... Punish someone by dragging them through the water under the keel of a ship, either across the width from bow to stern, or from bow to stern. Nope. So, um, so yikes. All yeah. the yikes. That's a real bad one. Also, what they end up choosing is also pretty damn bad, too. I don't think that's how you persuade somebody through torture. I don't, I don't think um, that really You mean, works. but particularly not a child? No. Because Tiger Lily is a child. Mm-hmm. Also, though... Gets annoyed as he's yes. trying to draft up his plan that he hears another pirate having his credenza, which I just love that that's exactly what's happening as he has so his good. reprise of the song. He hits his credenza. Hold on. The reprise of his song, The Life of a Pirate is Short. Yeah. Lest you forget that. Oh, we shan't because bam, Hook just shoots him down. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is why I can't (laughs) necessarily align with the Hooks, the hero, and that he's rescuing because he's just like, no thought whatsoever. You're annoying me. You're dead. Hero is the wrong word. That's why Nana's the hero. protagonist or even... 
anti-hero is, I think, even too strong in the wrong direction. Like, he's not the bad guy. No, he's not. He's not the bad guy. I will of this movie. He is happily settle with. He's not the bad guy. But yeah, so he shoots that pirate, and then we learn a little bit more about why Hook dislikes Pam. Right. Lots of shenanigans, but Mister Smee's throws me for a loop here. He says, "Quote: Cutting your hand off was only a childish prank." You might say, "What?" Um. No, thanks. I'm sorry. It's just a prank, bro, is essentially what Smee just said. Not a prank. <laughs> That's not a prank. That is a crime. Um, but then we meet the dopiest crocodile I've ever seen in my whole life. I love our crocodile Oh, so I love much. him. TikTok the croc. I love yeah. him. Mr. Smee is in the process of giving Captain Hook a shave. And he fears that he has decapitated him. When the bird flies <laughs> the away. Bird, like, he's just shaved this bird's butt. And the bird flies away, and he's looking around for Captain Hook's decapitated head. It's a marvelous scene, um, and I, I love Smee so much. Because Smee, you could tell, Mr. Smee. is just like, I really don't want to be a part of this. I just like the part of a pirate where, like, you know, we just do our own thing. And we don't try and, like, kill other people. And it's you know just... what? Sometimes it's fun to steal from other people. You know, yeah. I'm not personally condoning it by any means. But, you know, it's the life of a pirate. Yeah. It's short. It's short. <laughs> okay. So then we see Peter and the darling children are on a cloud overlooking all of Neverland. Yeah. And they see the Jolly Roger. And Peter says, oh, Captain Hook, that old codfish. Is that an insult of the time? Oh, good. Rachel's raising her hand and I can't wait for her answer. Y'all. So what I wanted my deep dive to be is what (laughs) is the meaning of the insult of codfish? Because it is used multiple times throughout this entire movie. At least four or five. Yeah. So I was like, this has to be intentional in some capacity. Um, Jury's kind of out, but I'd love to give you... A couple of theories of how this is inappropriate. Beautiful. <laughs> so, so just if if Disney's not really being inappropriate, which we know okay, is a possibility, <laughs> um, Cod was actually kind of synonymous with like a joke or a prank. So the word Cod kind of in um, 19th century Britain. So if you use the word Cod, you're kind of talking about a joke or a prank. It was a way of calling somebody a fool. is that however i kept thinking the word cod piece i'm sorry i'm gonna say it i literally every time heard cod piece even though i knew it was codfish so let's talk about uh how this could be a little bit you know dirty um because in middle english cod was actually defined as bag or sack referring to scrotum so, <laughs> I like to think that we're going to kind of go down that path of little lost boy over here is basically, you know, just calling, just calling, <laughs> calling him some testes, you know? Um, yes. So yes, please. There, there are some other things that it kind of means, like looking back in 1775, it was... De- 
cod was defined as any case or husk as which seeds are lodged. Again, you can then kind of take this to mean uh-huh. scrotum. So <laughs> I'd like yep. to- <laughs> the scrotes, if you will. <laughs> lordy so this was my like extra deep dive that like nothing was really definitive but i tried to look into the etymology of the word codfish and yeah bless you for doing that (laughs) that's that's what i i got or you could go not dirty and say that it's calling him a fool but i no. why would you go the not dirty route when there is a very clearly dirty (laughs) option guys okay so if you want to insult somebody um call him a codfish (laughs) Peter Don't. Pan's a codfish. Peter Pan is a codfish. Peter Pan's a codfish. Far, <laughs> far more than Captain Hook. Yeah. Okay. There you go. But we then, can continue on. Peter Pan instructs Tinkerbell to lead the children to the hideaway. Yes. And she's a fucking bitch, man. She just leaves these children to die. Yeah. Not only to die, because like, okay, they're... They can still fly, but no, she goes and tells the lost uh-huh. boy that Peter wants them to see that Wendy bird out there, shoot her down. So yep. it's not that she leaves her to die, it's that she actually puts out a hit on Wendy. Uh-huh. Peter saves Wendy just in the nick of time. Apparently, I don't understand Tinkerbell's magic, but apparently she can get so angry that she can burn things as she flies through them. Yeah, that's what happens when she turns red. She turns Oh, of course. Yes, she literally heats up so much. Yeah. Peter says to Tink, uh, don't you know you might have killed her? And then Tink just smirks. So she gets banished. And is pissed. Understandable. But now the children split up to explore. Uh Uh-uh. And I... mm. Mm -mm. This is where the movie really gets bad. this This is where the movie goes off the rails. Peter says that John is the leader. Nope. Why on earth would John be the leader? He has never been to this, to Neverland before. Oh. Why would, why wouldn't one of the lost boys be the leader? But the boys are looking for the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> this whole scene of, you know, Michael is noticing that the trees are getting closer but none of the boys, and he tr- he's trying to alert his brother and the he lost is. boys. He's trying so hard. But then all of the lost boys and John and Michael get captured by the Native Americans. And then they're all being carried over to their camp. And then the teddy you see bear. this little teddy bear on a rope. And it's so ridiculous, but also cute. I think and that's all that we need to say about what happens at that point in the movie. And instead we can cut over to Wendy and Peter because Wendy wants to go see the Mermaid Lagoon. First of all, they are horny. Oh, I said they're thirsty. (laughs) Fair, but also murderous. Oh, yeah. But yeah. also, also, half of them are not wearing tops. Okay, so I did think that, but, like, they do, the ones that you can see have shells, and they do have thick, luxurious hair. Yes, and like I'll Rachel's say, like, hair. Rachel has, like, the thick, luxurious hair. It's, like, I covered. Have. I could go without a top. It's covered. But, yeah, like, half of these mermaids have shells, but the other half just have long, luxurious hairs. Hairs. Long, luxurious hair covering their boobies. 
If you got it, flaunt it. If you got it, flaunt it. But let's remember this is a children's movie. I They're just bitches. That's my bigger problem. They're thirsty bitches. The line that they say, we were only trying to drown her after trying to drown Wendy. Like, guys, she's 12. And Peter's just laughing. Yeah, like, see. Fuck you. Anytime a woman is on screen with Peter... This is why we'd hate Peter. It's actually not because of how he is to Hook. Like, yeah, okay, I actually like his and Hook's rivalry. I think it's very fun. I think it's very entertaining. But when Peter is on screen with any woman, it's never good. It's never, ever good. Speaking of, we then see that Tiger Lily has been captured by Captain Hook and Mr. Smee. And they are on a little rowboat rowing towards skull rock i have another thing about this okay well it's just a rachel thing um so at my family home we have a pool uh and we have like little fountains and waterfalls in the pool and one of the waterfalls has what we have always called since i was we moved in that house skull rock and it is a rock that kind of looks like a skull. It has two indents and then like a lot of little indents. Aww. And so, like I said, Peter Pan was throughout my entire childhood in all capacities. We would always, like when I was learning how to swim, swim to Skull Rock, swim back. Cute. And uh, so I just like the reference to Skull Rock because I have one in my backyard. Cute. Let's go to Skull Rock. Yes. And Tiger Lily has been tied to an anchor. As the tide's coming in. And Captain Hook is prying her for information, which she obviously does not have. So Peter Pan decides to have a little fun. And he impersonates Captain Hook to Mr. Smee. Well, first he impersonates a spirit to get Captain Hook away from Smee and Tiger Lily. And then he impersonates Captain Hook. I'm annoyed by the fact that Peter Pan closes his eyes as he talks into his hat while impersonating Captain Hook. Like, bro, you gotta be aware of your surroundings. See, but like this, as I title it in my notes as, um, where is it? Peter V. Hook 1. Um, <laughs> I love this. I love this mischievous Peter Pan who is I love this. too cool mm -hmm. to even think he needs to worry about anything else. This dynamic of Peter... And Hook, I think if you just made the movie about that, like, yeah, sure, the darlings could be there to, like, watch all of this happen, whatever. But if it's really just centered around just this conflict of Peter V. Hook and Hook V. Croc, this is the best <laughs> part of the movie right here. This is too many movies being shoved into one movie. Yeah. But I will say my one of my favorite lines of this movie is, while Peter Pan is impersonating Captain Hook, he says... <laughs> when you return to the ship, tell the crew to help themselves to me best rum. So Rachel, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> we don't get tons of booze references, but when we do, we take them. Always. Always <laughs> take a drink. What I dislike about this scene of, as like I titled it earlier, Peter V. Hook 1, is that Peter, once again, has to be reminded 
about Tiger Lily. He has to be reminded about a woman who is in trouble, that he got a woman put into trouble in some way, shape, or form. And he has to be reminded, like, hey, don't forget. Like, Wendy has to tell him. There's a, no- there's a woman in danger. This is That's where I have my problem with Peter Pan is, again, his relationship to women. 100% agree. There are several moments in this scene before he does go and save Tiger Lily that I want to mention. Number one, Smee seems very delighted to see Peter Pan. I think Smee And not just because they're trying to catch him. Like he- No, I think he thinks Peter Pan- Peter Pan! He has like a smile on his face. I'm like, "Mm, that was was an animation choice right there. I think he thinks of Peter Pan kind of as like- not a celebrity, but like, oh my gosh, it's him. We're really seeing him. Like, I know I'm not supposed to hate this guy, but like, he's really here. That's how I see Smee, how he interprets Peter Pan. Yes. But then he says the line, cleave him to the brisket and what? And then I was hungry. Because <laughs> I'm a Jew and I heard brisket. Whatever. <laughs> then my notes. And Peter saves Tiger Lily in the nick of time. But nearly forgets Wendy. I can't with this jerk face. Yeah, I just, this is, this is all (laughs) bad. So after this, I fright. um, (laughs) He does rescue Tiger Lily and they're off. The next thing we see, as Hook is recovering from his trauma, Smee tells him. Oh my God, is this scene so Flippin' funny. I nearly died. So we are back on the Jolly Roger. Smee is trying to tend to poor Captain Hook. Who again has gone through trauma. So much trauma. He has like a massive migraine. Understandably so. And Smee is hammering a sign on the door. It says, do not disturb. It says, do not disturb. While everyone is, is, is being very quiet except for Mr. Smee. And then the door opens and he hits him on the head with a hammer. And I laughed so hard. I, I <laughs> he doesn't lost notice. No. I fucking lost it. But then the next thing that happens is, you know, he, he, Captain Hook, is concussed. Obviously. Obviously. And he has this smile on his face and Smee's like, oh, good to see that you're in better spirits now, Captain. Blah, blah, blah. And then Smee pours boiling water into his foot bath. I mean, Smee is trying so hard. His heart is in the right place. place. But my goodness, is he a buffoon? He really (laughs) is. So as he's attempting and failing to tend a hook, he then comes up with this plan, which is, and actually it's not really a plan. He tells Hook that actually, you know, Tinkerbell has been banished by... Um, his name is Peter Pan. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Tinkerbell has been banished by Peter Pan. And quote, a jealous female can be tricked into anything. Now Smee must go ashore to find Tinkerbell, who is very easy to spot. Yeah, she's glowing. And now mm, it is time for, I write, 
more racist caricatures. Oh, I say, oh no, why are we back to the extreme racism? And then I don't write anything else about this because I don't want to talk anymore about it because it's real bad. It's real bad. And not only do we have racism, we have very blatant sexism because Wendy is not allowed to dance. She has to tend to the fucking fire. Yeah. This whole scene is entirely unnecessary, obviously because of the racism, but it doesn't add much to the plot. This it doesn't whole, add anything to the plot. It is leading up to the fact that these boys are coming back from this celebration and they're saying, oh, we don't have to go to bed. We don't have to follow any rules, blah, blah, blah. This could have very, very easily been achieved through anything else. Yeah, it. this is not, they could have done any other way They could have gone out, like, I really don't condone this, but whatever, we can do it. They could have gone out hunting and caught something and celebrated and done, like, been, like, yeah, we're men, we're boys, we don't have to do anything. But, like, this is not the right thing in any capacity. I will say for myself, like, when I eventually have children, they're not seeing this scene. Absolutely not. It is so obscenely disgusting yeah it's really bad but we all bad my one shout out here is that our chief is voiced by candy candido whom you will remember played fidget in (laughs) the great mouse detective that is my one thing and that's the one goodness in that scene that is the one goodness and then we are done with the native american horrible depictions of Mm -hmm. very racist stereotypes in this movie Yes. So now let's move on. We are back on the Jolly Roger. Yes. Hook is playing the piano. No. Stop it. He is not playing the piano. That is not a piano. Do not say things like that. (laughs) That is so wrong. I have it in my note because I was like, no one better call this damn thing a piano. It ain't no (laughs) piano. It doesn't sound like a piano. It doesn't look like a piano. It's not a piano. It's a harpsichord. It's a what? Harpsichord. I've never heard of that. Oh my lord. Really? Rachel, I'm sorry. I wasn't in band. I'm sorry, you don't need to be in band. You need to do crossword puzzles to know what a harpsichord is. Harpsichord. Yeah. It's a piano from, like, a long time ago. It's a piano-like instrument. It does not, obviously, that that didn't sound like a piano that he was playing. It didn't sound like a piano, which is why I was confused. But I figured that... You would hear a harpsichord in, like, Baroque-style music. Harpsichord. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry I've never heard of this. I apologize. You guys are learning something new every day. Harpsichords and pianos are very different instruments. But Tink is on board. Hook is trying to appeal to her jealous side while Smee is drunk as shit. Which? <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Because <laughs> it's clearly on wide. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know what? Hashtag samesies, me. Hashtag samesies. I am at that point. Then Tink starts to cry. And do I feel even the littlest bit sad about it? No, I do not. Because fuck you, Tinkerbell. Yeah, Tink. And like, you should know to not. So we <laughs> we have a clear history between Peter Pan and Hook. Like, no matter what, Tink should be aware of this goddamn history. Like, even (laughs) I understand hell hath no fury like a scorned woman, but like, I feel like Tink would know better. She wants revenge on Wendy. She doesn't really want revenge on Peter. Here's the thing is, I don't think that 
J.M. Barry and our screenwriter think very highly of women. Clearly not. So that's what's happening here. Because okay. then our our great new plan is to Shanghai Wendy. And then Tink gets locked in a lamp box? What, what are those called? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Lantern. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. It's called a lantern. It's a lantern. Oh my God. Um... Yeah, because Tinkerbell gives up the hiding spot that gets thrown into a lantern. Oh but my she only God. gives up this hiding spot if Hook and Smee will promise, which, come on, man, if they promise not to lay a finger on Peter. Not to lay a hand or a hook. Or a hook on, on Peter. Peter. Let's cut back to the hangman's tree. Pretty nice accommodations, not going to lie. Can I just ask you? Yes. Which Lost Boy do you Ooh. like the most? Because I know which one I like the most. Um. Okay. I like. I don't know what kind of. An- oh, I like the bear. Okay. Because I, I, I highly, I, I strongly identify with him because he's just kind of like tubby and goofy. Um. My favorite's <laughs> the skunk. The skunk. He's so damn cute, and especially in this scene where they're all gathering around Wendy, and he just curls up into his tail and uses it as a bed. I love this skunk. I don't like the twin raccoons. No. The, the twins don't have separate personalities. I really dislike that. Yeah, I don't like them. We don't know how much time has passed. It's been half a day, maybe in time, Neverland time. Time works very weird. Time works weird in Neverland, but so Wendy left the party quote unquote roll pissed goes back to the tree yeah all the boys come back they have war paint on them hate it mm. immensely so they're like guys we gotta go to bed we have to and, and then in the morning we have to return home to our mother and michael's like oh we have a mother michael it's been maybe in neverland time six hours and in real life Maybe uh, 30 minutes. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe 30 minutes. Like, how has he already forgotten his mother? But then, the mother song. Did I remember this? No. Oh, I did. It is tragic. Yeah, the whole idea... I mean, this is the first time that Wendy is doing what Peter brought her to Neverland to do. And the thing is, she's doing it perfectly. Like, this is exactly what all of these boys needed, except mm-hmm. pissy Peter. Fucking Peter. But then Wendy says, oh, it's fine. Our parents will happily accept the Ooh, yeah. six of you as our new brothers. Slow no, your roll, no, Wendy. Wendy. Look, if she was eight, maybe that would have been an acceptable thing to say. But she's 12 years old. She should fucking know better. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's no way your parents are taking on six boys who have had no parental guidance for who knows how long. They all leave because it is time to return to London. And they all want to go with her. And they are captured by the pirates. And Smee and Hook send down a present. But no, it is not a present. No. We find out later it is a bomb. Yeah. And loophole, they're not physically laying a hand or a hook on Peter, but I just was so surprised that Hook decided to, like, keep to his word, because since when do pirates ever keep to their word? Well, he doesn't. 
But now we are back on the Jolly Roger and the children have to decide to either embrace the pirate lifestyle or die. I will say this is when our pirates become uh, very flamboyant during this song, (laughs) talking about what it is to be a pirate. They are the most flamboyant pirates of all time. But their, their options are become a pirate or walk the plank. Tinkerbell in the background is trying to break herself free to warn Peter Pan because they have all learned that right at six o'clock, the bomb's going to go off. What? Am I rooting for Tinkerbell? Not really. (laughs) But somehow both she and Peter survived the 6 p.m. explosion. I just like that we count down from 18 seconds. Like, how does... (laughs) How... How are our clocks this synchronized, people? Like, I can't get all of the clocks in my own house to be synchronized, let alone a bomb and somebody else's clock and somebody else's clock. Maybe clocks work differently in Neverland. <laughs> okay. Um, but now Wendy has decided, guys, no, we're not all going to become pirates. I'm going to walk the plank. Before she hits the water, no there is no splash. Because why? Because Peter Pan caught her. da mm. da da <laughs> I love his theme. Why I is he not too. a better character for me to root for? Right. The boys are loose. Yes. <laughs> and my goodness, I love this scene. It is chaotic and I'm all here for it. So the the lost boys, John and Michael, are fighting the pirates. Apparently, Michael is physically able to pick up a cannonball at age four yeah. and put it in his teddy bear. No, but no. I love it. <laughs> well, and see, again, this is why this movie is great. Because of scenes like this, yes. this adventure, this like fight just, scene, just is cut so out fun. the racism and, it's and the so sexism. And the sexism. Like, if you just get these so true much fight scenes, it is a fun movie. It's still a magical movie. Like, it is, it's an adventure that I would want to have. I don't want to have this adventure as is. And then it is time to fight. Oh, but Peter, you're not allowed to fly. Which, like, I appreciate Peter saying I'll make this a fair fight because it's so clearly not a fair fight when he can fly, obviously. True. So, uh, yeah, we get Peter V. Hook V2. I just absolutely love that it really comes down to, like, Hook is going to win this. Like, Peter, without being able to fly, is too cocky of an asshole. He can't do anything. And so Hook really, like, kind of has it in the bag until he gets a little cocky, too. Everybody (laughs) gets a little too cocky in this, and they ruin it for themselves. Classic toxic masculinity. (laughs) (laughs) always always the downfall it truly is and this i think epitomizes it (laughs) but of course peter triumphs over captain hook he falls into the water and tiktok the croc almost gets him so many times and it's so fucking funny and yeah hook v croc v2 (laughs) is also so good and then we just get skipping into the distance like a rock with a complete propulsion we get hook going off into the sunset so this is why this movie is good because of this because of this eliminate the racism eliminate the sexism it's a funny movie yeah it is time to go home i do like that he is captain peter pan and he puts on the entire outfit. I love that scene so much of him putting on 
Hook's outfit, I'm sure our animator was like, yes, I finally. get a win right now. Milkball is like, oh, finally, I can do this something fun. So Wendy asks Captain Peter Pan, where are they going? And he says to London, of course. And now Wendy is ready to grow up because she's had a wonderful adventure with Peter Pan. No, Wendy, it no. was not wonderful. You almost died many, many times. And uh, then you see the clouds in the sky as the Jolly Roger and the end. <laughs> Thank goodness. Because I- <laughs> what a what a movie. What, what, what a movie. Again, I will just say, I've said it drunkenly multiple times already. This movie, if it is just the battle of Pan and Hook and everybody kind of like the Lost Boys, the Pirates, etc. Great movie. The like antics they get themselves up to. All of those things that they get up to. It makes it so much fun. The racism ruins the movie. The sexism ruins the movie, and I'm uncomfortable yeah, watching but those it. Those are always things that ruin all movies. That ruin all things. I would like to share that as we are finishing recording this episode, we have just hit 800 followers on Instagram. Thank you all. Woo, woo. Thank you guys. Oh my goodness. What a way to end the recording of this episode. Lordy. <laughs> Did I enjoy this movie? I don't know. Okay. Like, yes, I enjoyed parts of it. Okay. And I also hated a lot of parts of it. So how about you then say what we're going to do next week? So we can put this, we did it, check that box, season four. Um, what What's happening next week? I think that everybody here has uh, guessed what movie we will be covering next week. Did and we it drop is a- any hints? It is, of course, Alice in Wonderland, but... We are going to be joined by an amazing guest next week. I cannot wait for her to be on this podcast. We will introduce her next week, but I'm very excited. It's going to be a very fun episode. I cannot wait, Rachel, for you to pick a wine for us to have alongside Alice in Wonderland. I feel like we need something strong for that, too. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that this is a wonderful way to end our episode. Thank you, Rachel, for picking this movie. It was one we definitely had to do, despite all of the racism and sexism. Yeah. Very important that we discussed it. Lots of fun parts. I enjoyed having this wine alongside. I know I had a lot more than you did. (laughs) I had... For myself, where I'm at in my life, I had plenty of this wine. It was delicious. This was an incredible pick. And I think all there's left to do is give a very hearty cheers, everyone. Cheers. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Ooh, boy. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Disney Rewind. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and many other platforms where podcasts are found. Connect with us on social media by visiting at Disney Rewind on Instagram and on Facebook.com slash Disney Rewind for some fun content and moments mentioned on this episode. Join us over on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Disney Rewind, and receive bonus episodes, shout outs on the podcast, and more behind the scenes content. For more information about us and our podcast, check out DisneyRewind.com. That is D-I-S-N-E-Y-R-E-W-I-N-E-D.com. Cheers. Cheers.